Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul communicated the essence of a pastor's job. We teach you by reminding you of everything the Lord Jesus Christ thinks. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 1, Finally, my brethren, and brethren is a reference to believers in Christ, Rejoice in union with the Lord. To write the same things in my letters over and over again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Today, every day incessantly, we hear people say, Be safe in the midst of this alleged global pandemic. The meaning of be safe for Christians is to keep on having our minds renovated over and over again by hearing the same truths over and over again from the Word of God. And we are safest when we keep on learning about God and His Word. But repetition is a vital part of learning. The thing that's so funny to me about so many people is they always want to learn something new. And that comes directly from the enemy of God. We don't need anything new. We need the old things repeated and repeated and repeated. You know, can you imagine that? Well, I don't like brushing my teeth. You know, I want to do something new to my teeth. Okay, like what? Brush your teeth. You brush them every day. God builds in these little routines into our lives to teach us something. The teeth need to be cared for. Brush them every day, three times a day. If we did the same thing with the Bible study... Imagine what our spiritual maturity would be like. So it's no trouble for me to keep on reminding you who Jesus Christ is. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, meaning he is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. Nobody else is like that. Nobody ever was. Nobody ever will be. No one else can ever make that claim. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing happens in the universe without his permission. And he is the Jewish Messiah. It's no trouble for me to keep on reminding you why Barah Ministries exists. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of Christ. 
and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. It's no trouble for me to keep on reminding you about God's enemy. God has an enemy, Satan, who, made, who God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 16, verse 11, the Lord says this, The ruler of this world has been judged. Satan and the angels who went with him in his evil sedition. All angels fell. Two-thirds of them took the reconciliation offer. One-third of them did not. The ones who are still with Satan, who are in the appeal trial of the creator-creature conflict, the ones who think that God is unloving and unfair, are judged already. And in, a, in an appeal trial, you've been judged, and what you're trying to do in an appeal trial is say that the original trial was tainted or the original decision should be vacated. And they, can, they, they are getting an opportunity to prove that boast. It will not occur. They have lost, and they will not win the appeal. It's over for them. Satan is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. I had a woman tell me today, ah, Satan, I hear about Satan. I don't believe there's a Satan. I said, okay, well, you're going to live with him one day, so you better get to know him. So you don't know him now, you're going to know him eventually. Because she cannot get her head wrapped around the idea of God. And she, she's, she is the nicest person you'd ever want to meet. 70 years old, and, but she harangues about it. Well, do you think blah, 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 blah? And she's not asking a real question. She's just saying, I don't believe. And well, do you think blah, 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 blah? What do you think blah, 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 blah? I said, look. You, you, I gave you my book. You either read it or you didn't. If you read it, it told you how to get to heaven. If this isn't important to you, if you want to keep running your same BS story over and over and over again and, and think that it's going to fly with me, it's not going to fly with me, but here's what will fly with me. You get to make your own decision about whether you want to be saved or not. Nobody can take you out in the parking lot, beat you up, and say, if you don't believe, then I'm, you're going to get kicked, your butt kicked again. Nobody cares about you on that level. What you have to do is to make a decision for yourself about what you think is true, not just what you believe, because a lot of the stuff you believe isn't true. Not just what you believe, but what's the truth. Pursue the truth. And then when you see the truth, make a decision. And nobody cares what your decision is. That's your business. But don't make the decision because your parents told you. Parents are wrong a lot of times. Don't make a decision because you have family pressure. Make a decision because you want to. That's what God wants. A lot of these evangelists out on the street... You know, they got their bullhorn. You're going to go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. And one of them, I was at a Cardinals game, and he's out there, the, the wages of sin is death. And he's saying all this negative stuff. And I just started ripping him out loud at the top of my voice. This is not the gospel message. The gospel message is different than that. This guy is a liar, right? Because people like that turn people off to God. God's message isn't, Believe in me or you're going to hell. His, his, his message is, 
Believe in me and you will be saved. It's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to a change of mind about believing in Christ. His message is dramatically different. And then if you don't want to believe in Christ, which is your prerogative, he has been gracious enough to create a place for you to live. And it's the lake of fire. And if you don't believe me, get into Revelation chapter 20. It says, when the earth and the universe as we know it is blown up, and it will be, that's why we have fireworks shows. It's a preview of coming attractions. When the earth and the universe is blown up, there will be no place left for them to live. Who them? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. There will be no place left for them to live because they ain't going to live on the new earth and the new universe. Where righteousness dwells, they're not going to be there. And he was gracious enough to make a place for them. But it is not his will that any should perish, you see. So, amazing. Anyway, Satan's a liar who deceives the whole world. He doesn't want you to get to know God. He interferes with our chance to know God. And his strategy against the human race is religion which is designed to make you either indifferent or antagonistic to God, and it works. I have friends, dear friends, who if I say the word God, they're ready to fight. Don't bring that word up. One of my friends said, don't bring that word up. He, he grew up in a cult, and he's traumatized. It was a religion, and he's traumatized by it. And even though he loves me and trusts me, he doesn't want to hear it. Okay. All right, don't say I didn't try to tell you. Don't say I didn't offer you my book. I want you to be saved. You're going to be victimized by your parents, and you're going to be antagonistic and stay there because of them? What about you? How about if you make your decision for yourself? You can. God is not a fan of religion because it is a deception. Religion deceives many into thinking they're saved when they might not be. And it really works well. By the way, there's no such thing as a Christian religion. Religions always want to drag Christianity in with them. We don't belong there. They are over there, and we are over here. And by the way, I'm going to be writing a book. I told the elders yesterday I'm going to be writing a book this year, Christianity versus Religion. I wrote it a really long time ago and never published it, and so I'm going to go back and correct all of the mistakes that I made when I wrote it the first time and come out with a really cool book for you so that you will know clearly that there is a difference between Christianity and religion. And can you guess what religion is going to be the target of my book? Roman Catholicism! Ding, 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 ding! Yes, because that's the one I know the most about. So anyway. Religion is a deception. Satan knows the importance of your thinking, and so he attacks your mind so that you won't pay attention to the truth of the Word of God. Everybody who comes to Barah Ministries immediately after the next week has somebody at their job say, can you work on Sundays? (laughs) Everybody. It's unbelievable. It's uncanny how many people that has happened to. So he attacks You're thinking he introduces doubt about God. He leads you into temptations to sin so that you miss the mark of the plan of God for your life. And that's what sin is. Sin is an archery term. It means to miss the bullseye. It means to miss the mark 
of the plan of God. Well, what is God's plan for your mind? Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says this, The mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on sin, the mind that's being run by the flesh inside of us, is death. It's a dead end. But the mind set on the God the Holy Spirit is the resurrection life, and it results in peace. And that's what you're here for. You're here to get the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Because the solutions in here are way different from the solutions you're going to hear out there, from psychology and all that other pop, fad nonsense that couldn't help you in a million years. That's one of the things I love about my friend Deanne, who went home to be with the Lord. She was in total peace when she went home to be with the Lord, because she knew exactly where she was going, and all of her friends knew exactly where she was going. And boy, we would have preferred that she didn't go there at 57 years old. We would have preferred that. But God has a perfect plan. Every decision he makes is perfect. Her death, her physical death, was perfection. And I bet she's not concerned at all about the fact that she physically died today. You think she is? I don't think she is. I didn't think she's even thinking about us down here. She said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and we're jealous. So the Apostle Paul does not want Christians to be involved in Satan's counterfeit life offering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this, I, Paul, am afraid that just as the serpent, Satan, the serpent in the garden, Satan, deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, by his craftiness and deceitful scheming, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Billions of people are deceived. Well, the Word of God, the Bible, is truth, and it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. So it's no trouble for me to keep on reminding you not to strive to please God. Psalm 46, verse 10 says this, See striving... And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If you're wondering who's running the universe right now, it's the Lord. Believers in Christ are not fighting for the victory in this life. We're not worried about who got elected and what politics is going on. We're not worried about it. We're, we're, We're not worried about anything. As a matter of fact, God tells us to stop worrying about anything. We are operating from victorious ground. And as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, a union we cannot get out of, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. All right, today's lesson, what is love? What is love? Zachary last week, yeah, Zachary last week stole my title for this week. Thank you, cut that. All right, so... (laughs) He loves doing that. So happy Valentine's Day to everyone. I don't believe you heard me. I said happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, you don't care about Valentine's Day. It's not for guys. Valentine's Day is for women. It's not for guys. It is true. We don't get nothing. Nobody give us nothing for Valentine's Day. All right. So anyway. End of rant. (laughs) In the world, in Satan's kingdom. Oh, is that for me? Oh, 
All right, I stand corrected. Thank you, yes. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Candy, no my favorite, and it goes with my outfit. Baby, don't hurt me. Thank you very much. So anyway, in the... I love crow. I just got to eat crow. Yeah, nobody gives me anything. I got game. All right. So in the world, in Satan's kingdom, this is a day for celebrating Eros love, E-R-O-S. Eros was the Greek god of love. His Roman name was Cupid. Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow flow straight to my lover's heart for me. Nobody but me. Who sang that song? Sam Cooke. Good. Ding, ding, ding. You're not getting any of my candy. (laughs) Eros love is a feeling. The love of passionate physical desire. And legend has it that without warning, Eros, Cupid, would select his targets and forcefully strike their hearts with an arrow, bringing confusion and irrepressible passion to them. He loosens the limbs and weakens the mind. I call this lighter fluid love, the kind that flares up. I'm in love. I've fallen out of love. It flares up and then it blows down. Right? So it's lighter fluid love. It's fun. It's passionate for a while, but it dies out very quickly. Today and every day, Christians celebrate agapao love. In English, the transliteration is agape, the unconditional love inspired inside of us by our amazing God. This kind of love is part of the fruit of God the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these virtues, there is no law. In today's lesson, we'll get a taste of real love as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And also, as we do every month, today we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. In it, we'll get a chance to hear God's perspective on real love. All right, let's hear some music. The Lord Jesus Christ is a man of action. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just Dying for the unjust. He was just, he was perfect, and he died for those of us who are unjust, that's all of us, who are imperfect. So that Jesus might bring us believers in Christ to God the Father, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The Lord's love for us is not a feeling. It's a demonstration. And here's June Murphy to sing about God's demonstrated love. Deepest need. The 
I love that song. Love, that's one of your best. You're welcome. Not the singing part, the writing. Uh, you know, she is so beautiful. She walks into it every time. So good. Let us pray. What is love? Yeah, thank you. Let us pray. Um, we're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for loving us unconditionally. Show us how to love as you love. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, What is Love? We continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In his letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has been addressing divisions and disunity in the first century church at Corinth, much like the divisions and the disunity that we're 
experiencing here in the alleged United States of America. And the latest divisiveness came from the elite believers in Corinth who told the lesser members, my spiritual gifts are greater than yours. The gift they were talking about is glossalia, the gift of tongues. And Paul is teaching the Corinthian believers the proper mindset about spiritual gift, and he's doing it in an indirect way. And that was one of the things that I always admire about Paul, is that he's indirect. He talks about himself, but he's really talking about them. And it's really funny to watch. To Paul, this issue is a math equation. Your spiritual gift minus love, unconditional love, equals nothing. Here are the verses we studied last week. And then we'll get into the section of chapter 13 that we'll study today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, where Paul highlights what spiritual gifts are like without love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I, Paul, speak with human tongues, and of course I do, he had the gift of apostle, and the gift of apostle had a lot of other gifts attached to it. If I, Paul, speak with human tongues, and I do, and if I speak with the tongues of angels, and I do. Remember, Paul had visited the third heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 12. He had gone to the third heaven and seen things which a man is not allowed to express to human beings. But he could speak it if he wanted to. If I speak with human tongues, if I speak with the tongues of angels, but don't have unconditional love as my speaking's foundation, I have become a noisy gong which is a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And I told you last week that my mom said there's nothing worse than being loud and wrong. That's what he's describing here. If you don't have love backing up your spiritual gift, you're just a big noise. You're just a a cacophony of noise, like having five or six stereos playing at one time and you're sitting right in the middle with all these speakers blaring at you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. If I, Paul, have the gift of prophecy, and I do, and if I know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I do, these are first-class condition ifs in the Greek, if and it's true, and if I have all faith, and I do, so as to move mountains, Paul could do the impossible. He had the gift of miracles, but did not have unconditional love. I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And if I, Paul, give all my possessions to feed the poor, that's philanthropy, from two Greek words, philos and anthropos. When you are philanthropic, you are expressing your love, philos, of man, anthropos. And you're looking for somebody who loves a group of people that you love so that you can give them money so that it will benefit those people you love. I love athletes, so I have endowed a scholarship at Arizona State University, a football scholarship, for a walk-on football player who exhibits determination. And it's the Dorothy Marie Beatty football scholarship at Arizona State University. It's in honor of my mom. I also support the Arizona State University women's volleyball team. And I have uh, made a contribution to them to give them a life coach. Well, why? Anthropos. Philos Anthropos. This is the love of mankind. I love women's sports, and I want to support a woman's sport, and I love football, and I wanted to support ASU that way. 
And so that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. He says, if I, Paul, give all my possessions to the poor, if I give back, and I do, and if I surrender my body to be burned even, if I turn myself into a martyr, but I don't have unconditional love at the foundation of that, it profits me nothing. So those are the verses we studied last week. And as you can see from those three verses, Paul has quite a resume. He has the gift of apostle, and it brings with it a lot of other things that we don't have. We typically have one spiritual gift. All right, now in the next section of the passage, one that will be familiar to you if you've ever been to a wedding, Paul discusses what love is and what love is not. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. You know, uh, there's always a person that you end up dating and they can't forget anything. So you're having a fight today and they're bringing up stuff from three years ago. Okay, I don't remember what my name is most of the time. I certainly don't remember what I did yesterday. And now you're talking to me about something I did three years ago? What kind of human being is that? And that's what we're talking about here. Taking into account a wrong suffered. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices with the truth. Love loves the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. So uh, Paul introduced the idea here that a spiritual gift without love is awful. Now, you've heard this at weddings, right? And what they're talking about at weddings, even the pastors, what they're talking about is lighter fluid love. I remember I was at one one wedding, and you know the guy because you used to work for him at a company down in St. Louis, but uh, I went to his daughter's wedding, and it was at a Roman Catholic church, and so the dumbest thing, Catholic weddings, the priest is facing us, and the couple is facing away from us. We don't want to see that guy. Turn it around. Let's see the couple, and, and you have your back to us, but they don't do that anymore. So anyway, so there's this one moment in the ceremony, and I'm sitting next to the guy whose daughter's getting married. There's this one moment in the ceremony where uh, the, the priest says, Oh, I just wish you could see their faces and all the love that they have on their faces for each other. And so the dad was drinking some water, and I leaned over to him and said, Yeah, that love's going to last until he, she comes home and finds... Uh, Uh, her husband having sex with her best friend on the coffee table. He spits the water out of his mouth. Now, that's the truth, right? That's the truth. That lighter fluid love lasts until the other person makes the first mistake, right? Then what? I got to go. So they use this passage to describe philos. They use this passage to describe eros, but this passage is not describing philos or eros. And by the way, eros, erotic, 
That's where that word comes from. This passage is describing unconditional love. And it's saying what unconditional love is and what unconditional love is not. And so this love that is being talked about here is not a feeling. This love is action. This love is backed with evidence. And if you hear what this is saying, you'll hear what evidence you're looking for and what evidence you're not looking for when unconditional love is present. That's what this, this part of the passage is all about. Because God's love is active. Love, in Greek, is the word agapao. June Murphy had the perfect title for her opening song today because agapao love is demonstrated love. He demonstrated love. Pure and untainted love. Sing it with me. There's never wavered love. That's God's love, right? She's not talking about lighter fluid stuff. She's talking about God's love, and God's love is demonstrated because God's not a talker. God's a doer. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Oh, I, I forgot to read the eighth verse. Yeah. All right, I'll read it real quick. Love never fails. But if there are spiritual gifts of prophecy, and there are, they will be done away. If there are spiritual gifts of tongues, and there are, they will cease. And if there are spiritual gifts of knowledge, and there is, it will be done away. Okay, here's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God the Father does what? I didn't hear you. Just read it off the screen. <laughs> yeah, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind. How did he do it? What's the evidence? In that while we were yet sinners, while we were unbelieving, unrighteous, and ungodly, the Father sent the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, to die for us as a substitute to take our place in death. He demonstrated his love. He didn't talk. How many of you parents would send your child to die for anyone? As, as little as I like my kids, I still wouldn't send them. Amen? <laughs> that was my son. He said, don't lie, Dad. You know you love me. All right, I admit it. God the Father demonstrated his love for us in that when we were his enemies, he died for us. Believers in Christ are not sinners. We are saints. But there was a time when we were sinners. When we were unbelievers, we were sinners. Ungodly, unrighteous, unbelievers. Did not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're on the wrong side of a barrier and unable completely to do anything to get ourselves across that barrier. But Jesus Christ came to pay for our sins so that on his back we could go across the barrier. Amen? All right, so what is agapao love? It is a love that is demonstrated by God. It is unlimited in capacity, and it's a kind of love that is continually demonstrated habitually. There is no greater demonstration of unconditional love than what occurred at the cross. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Greater unconditional love, greater agapao has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. 
Paul also discussed what love is not in these few verses. Do you love someone? One of the great things about the Word of God is it keeps on inviting us to check ourselves. If you say you love someone, the Bible says, check yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourself if, to see if you're demonstrating Christianity. Examine yourselves. Or, do you not recognize this about yourselves? Whenever Paul says that, he's asking, are you ignorant? Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is indwelling you believers in Christ? Unless indeed you fail the test? A man of action, himself, God expects us to reflect his actions. He loves us unconditionally, and he wants us to love the same way. This section of the passage gives us a way to assess our own love. Do you love? Do you love unconditionally, that is? Do you, how is your agapao love manifested? And what manifest means is made clearly visible. Is your love visible? What is not the manifestation of agapao love? Well, the verses tell you. When agapao love is manifest, it builds others up. When it is not manifest, it tears others down. When it is manifest, it is patient. When it is not manifest, it is impatient. When it is manifest, it is kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. When it is not manifest, it is unkind. When it is manifest, it is trusting. When it is not manifest, it is jealous, negative about the success of others. When it is manifest, it is humble. When it is not manifest, it's braggadocious in a way that wounds others. You become a windbag, a sounding brass. When it is manifest, it is others-focused. When it is not manifest, it is arrogant completely self-focused. When it is manifest, it is poise. When it is not manifest, it acts unbecomingly. It acts out. It retaliates. When it is manifest, it looks out for others. When it is not manifest, it seeks its own. Eros and philos, that's selfish love. When it is manifest, it is not provocative. When it is manifest, not manifest, it is easily provoked. When agapao love is manifest, it is forgiving. When it is not manifest, it takes into account wrongs suffered. It keeps a record of wrongs. It is not tolerant of injustice. It is easily irritated. That was one of my big things. When I'm not demonstrating unconditional love, I am intolerant of injustice. I, I am the, the originator of the expression, that's not fair, that's not fair because I like equity. But in most relationships, there isn't equity. Somebody has to be what we erroneously describe as the bigger person. That's what an arrogant person says. I just ha we just have to be the bigger person. That's arrogant. But what it is is somebody has to be mature. Somebody has to initiate the maturity. That's what we're talking about. Agapao love is manifest when it rejoices with the truth, and it is not manifest when it rejoices in unrighteousness. Agapao love bears all things. Not agapao love breaks under pressure and faints in the soul. Agapao love believes all things. 
Non-agapao love is stubborn and skeptical. Agapao love hopes all things. Non-agapao love is helpless. It's a doomsayer. The sky is falling. Agapao love endures all things. Non-agapao love runs at the first sign of danger. Agapao love never fails, but non-agapao love always falls short. God the Father gave us agapao love, unconditional love, as a gift. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says this, We believers in Christ keep on giving thanks to God the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 next week, we'll see what Paul is up to in his instruction of the Corinthians. Simply stated, without agapao love as our motivation, our spiritual gifts are useless. And indeed, we, even ourselves, are useless. All right, when we return from the break, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper and we'll see how much the Lord loves us. A love he demonstrated at the cross. Take a five minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody.
back. Today's Bible lesson, what is love? What is love? Our God always encourages generosity. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 says this, the generous person will be prosperous. You guys paying attention? The generous person will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Now, you've probably heard the expression, nothing ventured, nothing gained. It means you can't expect to reap if you don't sow. In God's plan, a person who gives freely always has plenty. But the person who hoards, the person who neglects to give to those who are in need, the person with a scarcity mentality is always in need himself. So keep on giving generously. And at Barah Ministries, we thank you for thinking of others before you think of yourself. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with his always excellent offering message. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I love being a deacon for Barah Ministries. And Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately I've been watching those Alaska shows. You guys seen any of those shows where they're out in the cold and all by themselves? 
chopping wood every day and hunting fish, and that's all they do, chop wood and hunt fish and hunt animals, and it's just a full-time job. They can never take a break. And it's funny, it's almost like us eating. Eating is a full-time job, right? <laughs> every day, all day, you guys are all chowing down right now. But it's, it's a full-time job. You can't back off on it. But a lot of times we just back off on things, like in our relationships. They're full-time jobs, aren't they? But sometimes we treat them like we just back off on them. We start taking a break. We're not chopping wood every day, stacking wood for that other person. We're not eating every day. We're not helping that person every day. We're not helping that relationship. And that same thing happens at church. You know, we don't see church as a full-time job, but it is. Our spiritual gift is a full-time job. And that's some of the things we should chop wood every day. We should do something for that every day. But it's easy to give up on it. And I was looking in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of the things, things of spiritual maturity yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call for, of God the Father in the union with Christ Jesus. So, in a lot of relationships... We kind of, we beat ourselves up. We think about the failures. We think about the sins maybe we've made. And we even think about the successes. And then we, we focus on those and we forget that we need new successes. Like today, maybe you brought a bunch of flowers and you're going to take tomorrow off for your wife. But tomorrow there's still love you need to give to your wife. So it's not just, day, it's not just one day a year, it's every day. And that goes the same for church. You know, a lot of times... We, we say, oh, I helped, you know, that one time, so I feel good. I can rest in that and take it easy. But church needs our help every day. Christianity needs our help. The world needs our help. They need the spirit of Savior, like Pastor was saying. The guy was talking about going to hell, and you see that all the time. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He didn't come to the world so that we'd be judged. He came so we'd be saved. And the world needs to know that. And that's one of those things. That's why it's a full-time job. So... I just want to remember, you know, remind everybody to, to look at it as a full-time job. Look, as, look at your family, your relationships, and never give up. Don't, don't get easy on it. Don't settle in your victories or don't settle in your mistakes. Just keep pushing on. Press on for the upward, for the, toward the goal, for the prize of upward call for God the Father in the union with Christ Jesus. And sometimes it's not easy to do, especially today. You know, today's the, you know, COVID filter over everything. It's making everything hard to go out and to be with your friends and to be with family and it's an excuse, but let's not, give, let's not let ourselves use that as an excuse anymore because we have the power through Christ, and we have a great ministry here that has one aim, and that's to help you learn about Christ. So, so thank you very much for your consistent giving, and hit it, Zach.
Thank you, Deacon Denny. Welcome back. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated unconditional love. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated unconditional love. Well, welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this celebration, the Lord reminds us of the unity all believers in Christ possess by sharing his body and his blood with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, On behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup representing his blood as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again in the second coming. Every, every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember. We remember that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, dependent on him for our so great salvation. We remember that we are believers in Christ and we're in union with Christ and we can't get out of that union with him. We remember that the Lord loves us unconditionally. We remember that we, have, that we are forgiven for every sin we commit, past, present, and future. And we remember that we have the Lord's grace to help in times of need, especially when we make mistakes. The Lord's Supper celebration is called communion. It's our chance to commune with the Lord. It's a sacred celebration, and so it is not something we take for granted, and it's not something we do on the move. It's a time to have bread and wine in front of us, And as we enjoy the elements, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, both for our physical sustenance and our spiritual sustenance. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back for a few moments. We look back to the cross to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. We look back to the cross to remember the sacrifice of his shedding blood to cover our sins. We look back to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life that he orchestrated, bringing us to his kingdom of light. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look forward as well in anticipation that he is coming again. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? And this month, we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated unconditional love. The Lord Jesus Christ said seven different things as he hung from the cross, paying for the sins of the world. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, in Luke 23, 34. He said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He was talking to one of the thieves who was crucified next to him on the cross, in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. He said, Woman, Behold your son. He was talking to his mother Mary, and he was talking about the apostle Jesus loved, which was John. John 19.26. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Mark chapter 15, verse 34. He said, I am thirsty. In John chapter 19, verse 28. He said, It is finished. Tetelestai in Greek. Salvation is finished in the past with the result that it stands finished forever in John 19.30. 
And the final thing he said from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Well, this week I was imagining what it might have been like if a small child had a conversation with the Lord as he hung from the cross. The child might have asked the Lord, what are you doing up there? And the Lord's response would likely be, I love you. The young child might then ask, what do you mean? The Lord would then break out into a June Murphy song, a song called When I Say I Love You. It's a song from God's perspective. And what I'd like for you to see is how biblical this song is. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. It's a song inspired by God the Holy Spirit and delivered to us through one of the most unlikely of sources, a source the elitist Corinthians would have considered a lesser person, June Murphy. But you see, I don't consider her a lesser person. I consider her a valued member of this congregation for years, a loyal member of the congregation who wouldn't consider leaving under any circumstance, and a dear, dear friend. And we are blessed to have June as a part of this congregation. Let's look at this amazingness that came out of her heart and out of her head. Here are the words to the song, and then I'll share with you the Bible verses that back it up. And by the way, as I was doing this, the words that kept coming out of my mouth was, holy hell, because I only wanted to do three pages. I ended up doing six, but I could have done 60. There is so much biblical backup for this song that it's scary, and that's true of every one of June's songs, and that's why they're so phenomenal, and that's why they're like infections. When you hear them, they just play over and over and over in your head, especially if you have the Word of God inside of you. So let's check out the lyrics to this song. It starts, I am the Lord your God, and I love you so much that I laid down my life. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5 says this, I am the Lord and there is no other. And besides me, there is no other God. So Buddha, Joseph Smith, the Pope, Allah, Muhammad, and all the other pretenders, take that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, The one who does not love unconditionally doesn't know the Lord, for the Lord is unconditional love in his very person and as his very identity. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, And the Lord Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to the sovereignty of sin and live to absolute righteousness. For by Jesus' wounds you were healed. So when we see that verse, I am the Lord your God and I love you so much that I laid down my life, we have the biblical backup right there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus Christ humbled himself. That should be humiliated himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The next verse is, My love, you will always be precious to me. I will never put you away or push you aside. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8 says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The next verse is, There is nothing good or bad about you that would make a difference in what I have to say. You have never disappointed the Lord once in your life. 
because he loves you unconditionally, he doesn't get disappointed, and he is not surprised by any mistake you make. Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 say this, When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners, that's unbelievers and prostitutes, and tax collectors, which were worse than prostitutes in their mind, the scribes said to his disciples, Why is Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus heard him in his omniscience. Mark 2.17, the Lord says, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick need a physician. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not come to call the righteous believers in Christ to salvation. Why? Because they already have it. But I came to call sinners to salvation. I came to call the unbelievers to salvation. Next verse. My death has made a way for you to be perfect in my eyes. So no matter what, I'm going to love you anyway. No matter what is the perfect description of agapao love. Colossians chapter 1 verse 32 says this, Jesus Christ has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Reconciled. He repaired the relationship between us and God the Father that was destroyed by Adam's original sin. Jesus Christ has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death to present you before God the Father holy and blameless and beyond reproach. When God the Father looks at you as a believer in Christ, what does he see? He sees a person who is holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. He sees a person who is not condemned. He sees a person who is absolutely righteous. He thinks you're amazing. You don't even give yourself that credit. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the absolute righteousness of God in union with him. At the moment of your salvation, you were placed into union with Christ, a union you cannot get out of, and you were credited with absolute righteousness. If you went to Home Depot and bought a black light, and shone it on your forehead and looked in the mirror, you would see a plus R stenciled to your forehead. That plus R is your admission ticket to heaven. Now, I'm kidding about the Home Depot thing. You get that, right? People down at Home Depot always say, Oh, that that Rory, that Pastor Rory must be preaching about righteousness again. The 60, 70 people came in here for black lights today. Love that guy. Next verse, when I say I love you, I'm not giving you hoops to jump through. What is he saying here? He's saying my love's not conditional. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, that far has the Lord removed our transgressions from us. The Lord does not think about your sins. Why? Because he paid for them. Please don't mistake that and think, okay, well, then I can stand any time I want to. Of course you can. You have free will, but that's not what he wants you to do. I can walk out in the middle of the freeway on 60 any time I want to. Yes, you can. You're going to get hit by a car. (laughs) John chapter 1, verse 16. When I say I love you, I'm not telling you when you blow it, we're through. We blow it. But what does God say about it when we blow it? John chapter 1 verse 16 says, The Lord's fullness, for the, of the Lord's fullness we believers in Christ all 
keep on receiving that fullness. Anytime we're empty, he fills us up. And then one grace after another grace. Every time we make a mistake, he forgives us. Next verse, when I say I love you, I know at times you will be untrue. God knows, remember this is God singing, he knows you're going to blow it. And what does he say? Romans chapter 3 verse 10, it is written, there's no creature who is righteous, not even one. He knows you're going to blow it. He knew you were going to blow it before he made you. He's not bothered by it because he paid for it. Next verse, but I won't take my love from you. He's not conditional. I won't take my love from you because when I say I love you, I do. When I say I love you, Romans 8.39 says this, nothing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father who is for us believers in Christ through our union with Christ Jesus our Lord. If you love the Lord, God the Father loves you. Amen? Amen? Next verse, I love you with a love unconditional and it will last for an eternity. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross, so that whosoever believes in him shall never perish, but have eternal life. Next verse, my love for you is not emotional. It's part of who I am, and it flows from my integrity. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 say this, in the same way, God the Father desiring even more to show to the heirs of promise, that's believers in Christ, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we believers in Christ, who have taken refuge in him for our salvation, would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. What is hope? In Greek, hope is absolute confidence. When we became believers in Christ, we have absolute confidence that God has saved us and he will come through for us when he comes again. He is coming for us, people. Amen? Amen. I can teach you to love unconditionally by the enabling power of the Spirit working in you. That's the next verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit direct your activity. So when you've been betrayed and even lied to, you can still love others as I do, unconditionally, if you want to. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, Jesus says, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Matthew 5, 44. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. When we love unconditionally our enemies, we are manifesting the unconditional love of God who does the same thing. Unbelievers hate him, reject him. Atheists say he doesn't exist. Satan is absolutely vile toward him, and he still loves Satan unconditionally. Matthew chapter 26, verse 25 says this, And Judas Iscariot, who was betraying Jesus Christ, said at the Last Supper, Surely it is not I who is betraying you, Rabbi. You notice he called him Rabbi, not the Lord. You know why I didn't call him the Lord? Because he was an unbeliever. That's why I didn't call him Lord, because Jesus wasn't his Lord. 
Jesus said to him, you've said it yourself. That's a Greek idiom, which means, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, you did it. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, from the cross, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Always graceful, always forgiving, always loving unconditionally. Next verse, because when I say I love you, I'm not giving you hoops to jump through. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, is salvation is by grace, a free gift from God. And of course it is, first class condition if in the Greek. It is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace as a free gift is no longer grace when it's not free. You cannot work for your own salvation. To think that you can be Christ-like, to be, think you can be a good person and save yourself is the most ridiculous thing that anybody ever said from a pulpit. It's an absolute lie. It's absolutely false. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. And so if you want to be saved, you have to let Christ do it. Next verse, when I say I love you, I'm not telling you when you blow it, we're through. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. The Jewish tradition was three times, so Peter thought he was being magnanimous by saying seven times. Matthew chapter 18, verse 22. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times, seven times. And that was a specific reference to the number of years that he had given the Jews to evangelize, 490. 70 times 7, 490. Next verse, when I say I love you, I know at times you will be untrue. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Next verse, but I won't take my love from you, because when I say I love you, I do. When I say I love you. John chapter 10, verse 28 says you can't lose your salvation. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Amen? Amen. And then the next part of the song is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7, which we, or 4 to 8, which we studied today. Love is patient and kind. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not envy or boast. Love forgets a wrong suffered. It is not provoked and it does not seek its own. Love rejoices in truth, not in unrighteousness. It bears and hopes all things. It believes, it endures, it prevails. <laughs> this kind of love never fails. This is what I say when I say I love you. Don't do that when you sing this. Don't do that little hoo-hoo. Just keep it straight. When I say I love you. That's such a great song. It gives me goosebumps, even just. But, June, did you have any idea that all those Bible verses were backing up that amazing song you wrote? No. And that's not even, that's not even a tenth of them. So, that kid who was talking to Jesus on the cross would be satisfied. And I am satisfied, and in a few moments we'll hear June sing the song for you. Because at the cross, we learned what true love, unconditional love, really is. All right, so let's enjoy the elements. Bread and wine. 
The Lord gave us these things to remember him, and we will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. So don't be chomping on it too soon. Don't be drinking on it too soon. If you already did that, we can bring you another one. This is not a meal. (laughs) That's why we got food back there. Anyway, obeying our Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person. And who he is as a person is the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work at the cross, which is the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 says this, When the hour came and his crucifixion was set for the next day, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles reclined with him. Luke chapter 15, or Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, this cup, and said this, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus continued the celebration, pointing out that he has an enemy. Luke twenty-two twenty-one. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine here at the table. Luke twenty-two twenty-two. For indeed, the Son of Man is going back to the Father, as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Luke twenty-two twenty-three. And the apostles began to debate among themselves which one of them it was going to be who was going to do this. And the funny thing is they all pointed at themselves. They were all wondering about it being them. They weren't pointing at anybody else. They were oblivious to what was going on around them. Well, as believers in Christ, we have chosen not to betray our Lord. Instead, we choose to obey our Lord with this celebration. So let's keep on eating this bread. Let's keep on drinking this cup. And let's do both to remember the Lord. And let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds, filling us with awe and reverence and gratitude. Let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. He's the only one that has ever been resurrected from the dead. His ascension to God the Father, his seating at the majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from his word, which feeds our souls. All right, so the Lord's Supper song, not surprisingly enough, is the one we just examined in the Lord's Supper lesson. Let's hear June Murphy sing one of the best songs ever written in human history, a song some from God's perspective, When I Say I Love You. And we can now enjoy the song.
goose bumper. Thank you, June. That's amazing. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are a reminder, and especially for those of you who don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's a reminder that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you would make a single decision that will be the most important decision of your lifetime, the decision to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants a relationship with you. And he sends evangelists to you to bring you the good news concerning what he did to save you at the cross. And that's the funny thing, that these evangelists that he sends go to the remotest part of the earth. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, okay, well, this believing in Jesus is all well and good here in the United States, but what about the little kids in the middle of Africa? And God, of course, always gives me exactly what I need. So one day I'm flying to Boston, and I'm sitting next to a woman, and where do you think she's from? The middle of Africa. (laughs) And I said, hey, you're from the middle of Africa. She said, yeah. And I said, do you guys ever hear anything about Jesus Christ? She said, that's all we hear about. There are so many missionaries that come over here and tell us about Jesus Christ all the time. Don't worry about the little kids in the middle of Africa. They're getting a lot more than we are. But see, God has an enemy, and he sends evangelists to you as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 say this, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, arrows, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned, because people like believing lies, 1 Peter 2, 3, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. When a person evangelizes to you, they're guiding you to a gospel message for your consideration. They know they can't convert you, although the pressure you experience from from some of them might make it feel like that's what they want to do. But they're giving you facts to consider. Are their facts true or false? For example, if you've ever had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they're evangelizing to you. If you've ever had members of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints come to your door, they're evangelizing to you. Unfortunately, both of those groups are inviting you to share eternity with them in the lake of fire because neither of these groups believes that Jesus Christ is God. I have family members who are part of one of these religions, and in spite of my best evangelism efforts, my family members don't want to hear anything that God has to say to them through me. Many parents are leading their children to a destiny in the lake of fire. If you want to assess whether or not you're a good parent, just ask yourself a simple question. Are you influencing your children to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe? Because that is the thing more than anything else in parenting that matters. God the Father has a plan to get you to heaven. Jesus, he is the only way to get to heaven according to John chapter 14 verse 6 which says Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas I am the way to salvation I am the truth through the gospel message the word of God and I am the resurrection life eternal life and no one comes to God the father in heaven but through believing in me 
That's a bold statement, and there are only two possibilities. It is true, or it is false. There's no middle ground. If a gospel message makes it sound like you have to work to get to heaven, it is a false gospel message. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says, We don't have to work to be saved. If salvation is by grace, a free gift from God, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace as a free gift is no longer grace if it's not free. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says, You can't work for your own salvation. Now to the one who works for salvation, his wage for his work is not credited to his account as a favor from the grace of God, but his wage is credited as what's due for the work. Unfortunately, your hardest work is not perfect enough to earn you a spot in heaven. What can you do instead of working for your salvation? Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, 36, verse 36 warns, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, not as a future event, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. John chapter 3, verse 17 highlights Jesus' mission. God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world, but the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. You heard that from Deacon Denny a little earlier. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. So take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. God wants you. If you want to go to heaven when you close your eyes in this life, simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, June's had a busy day today. (laughs) She sang our opening song. She sang our Lord's Supper song, and she's going to sing our closing song, and then she's going to go home and take a nap. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 say this. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices at the moment of salvation. Colossians 3.10, and you have since put on the new self. You are a new creation who is being renewed over and over and over again, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. As believers in Christ, we have been made a new creation by God. Why? June Murphy says, all because you wanted to, Lord. Let's listen. to set me free. 
watching you all get these indignant looks like, ah, oh my God, can you believe that? But one of the things I want you to know is how deeply I love June Murphy. And I know that June Murphy knows how deeply I love June Murphy because we've had, what, 12 years together. And you are one of the best people I've ever met. And you're one of my best friends. And I love you in ways that can't be described in words. And I just appreciate you so much for everything that you've given to me and everything you've given to Barah Ministries. And, you know, all that stuff, like I'm talking about, is the stuff that happens in the background. 
right? Because, you know, we're not standing up talking about how much we care about each other and how deep our friendship is and all the things we do for each other in a public forum. But we know. You know, we know all the little secrets we have together that we don't, <laughs> we don't talk to other people about. Uh, you know, that's what's great about friends. You know, you know everything your friend is and you know everything your friend is not. And I just appreciate you so much for knowing that I'm not all that and not letting it bother you in any way. And you've always been a tremendous support for me when I've gone through tough times. And I'm just grateful for you. So I wanted to make that public. I wanted to make it public through the Eucharist today. And just let everybody know how much, how much and how deeply I feel for you. And then right after this, we're going to go right back to what it was. <laughs> what is love? <laughs> you will continue to be the butt of my joke. As long as possible. <laughs> That's the thing we have. But thank you so much for what you've contributed to me and to us. In the closing, a doxology of praise to our God. Philippians 4, 6, stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made in prayer to God the Father. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Jude one twenty four says, Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, Jude one twenty five to the only God, our Savior, through our union with Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for giving us friends. Thank you for giving us people that we can love. And thank you, especially from the bottom of my heart, for giving me the people of Barah Ministries, a group of people that I have grown very close to collectively and that I have grown very close to individually. Thank you for putting this amazing support system of people, believers in you, around me, people who are motivated to know you, people who are motivated to know your word, and people who are willing to go forth and spread your gospel message to the remotest corners of the earth. I ask you to bless them and to keep them, to protect their health, and to give them the desires of their heart. And I ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.